How do you convince your clients to check for the factual accuracy of a content piece, like an ebook or a case study, rather than check and change every single word in the document and leave the tone of voice and wording on the copywriter? It's a brilliant question and I love it. Uh, let's ask Doug Kessler. Hello listener and welcome to B2B Q&A, the podcast where we go in search of an answer to your question about B2B content writing. This is also episode 100 of the Radix Communications podcast, so if you are expecting good copy, bad copy, don't panic, you are in the right place. You'll still hear great guests and co-hosts sharing advice on B2B copywriting, just in a shorter, more focused format with a new sound and a new name. This episode, we asked Doug Kessler a question from Zdenka Linkova. How do you get clients and stakeholders to focus on checking for accuracy and let the writer handle the wording and the voice? But first, where are my manners? We need some introductions. Uh, my name's David Maguire. I'm Creative Director at Radix Communications, the B2B writing agency. And for this special episode, I'm joined by a suitably special guest co-host. It's B2B technology writer, co-founder of this very podcast and my former boss, Fiona Campbell-Howes. Fiona, welcome back. Hello, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Beck. Oh, no, any, any time. How have you been? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, surprisingly good, considering, you know, what we've just all been through. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah the, the writing's going well, you know, uh, and uh, I think I've, I've been quite lucky in, in having quite a lot of clients and quite a lot of work. So I think, you know, our, our sector especially was one that, you know, survived the pandemic pretty well. Yeah, I think I think. Did you find the same at Radix? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've never been so busy as we were over the last year exactly. or year or so. Um, which is, um, you know, admittedly a nicer set of problems to have than a, a, a lot of people have have had lately. Do you feel that the market has changed at all for B two B writing over the um, over the last year eighteen months? Well, I think what it seemed to be is. You know, in all of the the content that we wrote over the last three or four years or so, it was all about, you know, digital transformation is going to happen in the future and the future is going to be like this. And then suddenly it happened. And then, (laughs) you know, every tech company suddenly had to rethink about what the future is going to be now. So, you know, all content that had been produced was kind of went out of date overnight. And and, uh, we were called in to produce brand new content with brand new predictions about the future. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how it's gone for me. Yeah, no, that sounds very, very familiar. And the uh, the the new the new company, the new world post Radix now for you is Greythorn. Is is that right? Greythorn, yes, that's my alias. So, uh, <laughs> it's basically just me. Um, I've got an unnecessarily swanky office ne- next door to yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know you're not far in, in the away. next door building. I, I did move, you know, one building away. So. <laughs> We could just about wave to each other, but we're facing in different directions. But yeah, yeah. So, so that's where I am, and and I'm doing pretty much, you know, what I was doing before at Radix. So it's uh, yeah, still B two B tech content, right? just without having to wrangle a team of twenty people. 
<laughs> yeah, so so more more wrangling clients and less wrangling of, of people. Yes, yeah, which which does give more time to do the writing, which I actually really enjoy. So well, great. Can't can't criticize that yeah. at all. So anyway, Fiona, I'm I'm sure you know if you cast your mind back, you'll remember how this goes. But could you please tell the listener how they can get in touch with us? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of remember how this goes, but I'm wondering if maybe there's new jingles. Um, so I'm looking forward to finding Let's out. Let's find out. <laughs> um, so, listener, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can find Radix on LinkedIn or on Twitter. At Radix.com. Or if you want us to answer your question, email us a voice memo. Podcast at Radix-communications.com. Well, I guess that answers that. In just a moment, we'll hear from Zdenka and from Doug, but this is our 100th episode, and it's one where one podcast is turning into another. So we're going to mark that by playing in a few clips and thanking some of the people who have contributed over the past eight and a half years. Welcome to episode one of the Radix Copycast. Here we'll be discussing some of the current trends and issues in B2B technology copywriting. You have to show the benefit of what you're offering to your audience. It's no use talking about your own product or talking about your own company or saying, oh, we've got a webinar, we've got a white paper. Um, those don't seem to work. It's um, can you show the value of opening the email to the mm. recipient? I'm not sure having a three-act structure automatically engages the audience, but the, I think the human brain is hardwired to expect stories to have a certain shape. So if your story has got three acts, in whatever kind of proportion to each other, that's just enough for the, the brain to sort of click into, ah, oh, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm experiencing a story here. And then what you have to do is bring the engaging kind of elements to it. Structurally rich and semantically categorized content which makes it automatically discoverable, reusable, reconfigurable, and adaptable. That seems to be the characteristics of intelligent content. Hello, and welcome to the 26th episode of Radix's podcast, which we've renamed Good Copy, Bad Copy. Nice. If you can, write something and then leave it, even if it's for like an hour before you go back to it, or just do something different, get away from your desk, anything you'll have a slightly different headspace so you won't still be in that zone. So just, if you can leave it a whole day, that'd be amazing because you will definitely spot things. Stand-up comedy is all about dealing with difficult things and making fun out of it. So all those videos and content that I'm doing, I always have the little uh, glint in the eye, so to speak. So it's done with a sense of humour which makes uh, even serious topics much more fun. The data shows our customers are really interested in getting into like the nitty gritty detail of what's going on with some of our products and, and, and stuff like that. And so um, and they do like the other stuff too at, at certain points, but that's just a, one example of that. We, you know, it's one thing to rely on gut instinct and, and the longer you're in a company, the, the better that will be, right? But, uh, but also making sure to measure and, and track and, and pull lessons away. It kind of has to, again, 
come down to having social be a seat at the content planning table and be a really collaborative approach. I think that's really the only way that things can can really make sense because just because you can put something on social doesn't mean you should. Generally, what resonates with targets are their own words. If I'm selling, particularly in a complex sale, um, I need to I need marketing to behave the way in the market that great salespeople behave. So bubble up pain, ask good questions. So we just heard Emily King, me, my husband, <laughs> my husband, James Henry, Doug, who we're going to hear from in a minute, Lorraine Williams, Paulina Yamsa, Lassa Lund, Kate Studley, and Maureen Blanford. It's always been an excuse to talk to really good people, <laughs> this, this podcast. It's changed a lot over the, the last eight and a, a half years, Fiona. I think that's safe to say. And thanks very much to all of you for being part of the podcast. So lots of memories there. Fiona, when you started the podcast with Emily back in 2013, did you think it would get to 100 episodes? Uh, I didn't think it would get to 10 episodes. Um, and I, have to, I have to say, I was a very reluctant participant at, at, at the start. So I, d I don't even know if I could be thought of as the co-founder of the podcast because it, it was Emily. And, uh, you know, she had a lot of podcasting experience. She was very keen that we did this. And I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> so if anybody's <laughs> listening, I apologize for the fact that I was so reluctant back in the day. But yeah, no, I thought we'd run out of topics after five or six. So, you know, the fact that it's still going, what, eight, eight years later? And eight and a half. Eight yeah. and a half years later and 100 episodes. Yeah, it just it just shows how much there is to talk about in the B two B copywriting. Yeah, I mean it's now had three names. So so the first twenty five episodes it was Radix Copycast. Then it had seventy four episodes as Good Copy Bad Copy, before being B two B Q and A. And also both of the original presenters have have now left. I'm kind of wondering if it's you know one of these ship of Theseus things about at what point does it cease to be the same podcast although they, they call it the ship of Theseus on WandaVision but to me I, I just always think of that as being Trigger's broom yeah I had to look up the ship of Theseus <laughs> to say are you familiar yeah. with the thought experiment you the said, ship of Theseus you said is it like the ship of Theseus slash sugar babes slash Trigger's broom so I was all right with the sugar babes and Trigger's broom but ship of Theseus I had to look up uh well, I, th I think you've had Emily back on as a, a guest presenter or co-host, and, uh, and and I'm back here now. So you know there are certain elements <laughs> that, that recur. I so I think it's a spiritual. I, I think you're all right. Yes. So we'll hear from some more guests later in the episode. But first, the part we're actually here for, where we take a listener's question and find an expert to answer it. Here's the Denka. Hi, this is Denka Linkova. I'm a freelance content specialist from the Czech Republic and I would like to ask for your advice on clients' feedback. How do you convince your clients to check for the factual accuracy of a content piece like an ebook or a case study rather than check and change every single word in the document and leave the tone of voice and wording on the copywriter? Thank you very much. Take care and bye-bye. Oh, this is a great question to start our new format. Although, Zdenka, if you don't mind, we'll take clients to include internal stakeholders too, so that we can cover both agency people, freelancers and in-house marketers. 
Um, our research into obstacles to great B2B content shows stakeholder interference is among the biggest frustrations for B2B content marketers worldwide. 86% of respondents said it was an issue. What's more, six out of 10 think their sign-off process makes their content worse. So we went right to the top for this one. Doug Kessler, creative director and co-founder of Velocity Partners. He's known for content that's a little outside the usual B2B comfort zone. So I asked him, how do you stop pesky clients meddling with your copy? I do think it's only meddling if, it, if, if it's wrong. Like, you know, if it's making the copy better, it's not meddling. And so we kind of think of it as meddling when it is or it's irrelevant. And, you know, I think the core thing is you earn your credibility. You can't just demand it. You have to earn it and you have to deserve it. Like I do get prima donna writers who the work isn't good enough to be prima donna. you got to if you know you slam dunked it, by by all means, defend everything to the last minute. But if you haven't, listen and take on board stuff. Now, we all know some of that isn't great. Um, but first thing is your positioning as an expert, as an expert writer, and as really good at this. And your positioning, as it goes up, you get less and less of that. Of course, there are stakeholders who come in and don't know you. And so there's that. But But your job is to earn that credibility. And Part of earning that is defending your work without defensiveness, you know, um, you know, accept the neutral things that aren't going to change it that much, the things that make it better embrace, you know, and so be ready to do all that. Whereas I do find some writers are like every note seems to be a sting, you know, and we got to get out of that mindset. They're not the enemy here, you know, and so you want feedback. We need feedback for our work, right? So you just want to focus that feedback on the person's area of expertise. You know, you don't necessarily want st style notes from a techie. Um, I once got a ton of style notes. And at the end of the call, I realized this is the lawyer. They were asked to review it <laughs> because of legal reasons. And he's given me all these style points. As soon as he hung up, I pretty much crumpled it up. But, um, you know, you want to try to focus it on their area of expertise. Uh, then you've got to brief them clearly like don't just send them the copy you got to brief them on what is it for what's it not for who's it for who's it not for what do you want from them and what don't you want so if you are really clear and say look i don't really need you for style i need you for accuracy you might find that they're you know less inclined to improve your style so some of that actually briefing them is a big part of it and I think maybe the, the last part is, or a third part is, don't, don't ask if you don't really want the input. Now, obviously, if it's your client and you may not have that option, but you don't have to ask everybody. And so there's always that option, you know. Uh, I guess finally, if it's a chronic problem um, and you really, it's a stakeholder you can't get away from, you got to have that difficult conversation. I, there's a book called Difficult Conversations. I absolutely love it. It helps you have these and get them to the table to say, we seem to have a working problem. Let's talk about it. So um, there's that too. Is this a problem that you still yourself get sometimes, or do you get to a point where you're Doug Kessler, nobody messes with you? Absolutely. No, there's absolutely no. I get no points. I get kids out of college with a how to write copy book on their desk in front of them, telling me how to fucking write copy. And so, you know, I, I get it all the time. And in truth, you know, no, I was going to lie there. I said in truth, and I was about to lie and say, it doesn't bother <laughs> me. It can really fucking bother me. But let's face it. It's a service business. We have to give the client what they want. But our job is to make them want the right thing. That 
it's not an obstacle to our job. This is our job. Like we got to take that seriously. If we're failing to make them want the right thing, that's our fucking fault, right? We cannot um, cry about it and moan about it, you know? So it's a service business and I'm in a service business. I don't care if they're right out of college, they're the fucking client, they're paying the bills. Um, I will listen, but my job is to try to make them want the right thing. And if you fail over and over and over, well, you know, you got to fire that client or fire that boss by quitting, you know? So if you really don't, you're just out of sync with what good is. Um, you're never going to please them or yourself. So find something else, you know, find some somewhere else. Thank you. So to, uh, to summarize, just kind of in terms of uh, tips uh, for the listener, um, you were kind of saying it, it starts with uh, briefing them clearly, um, earning it, uh, earning the credibility, um, picking your battles a little bit on the, the feedback, what, what you push back on, um, and, um, and, and want you, uh, what you won't push back on. Anything else that I've, I've missed there, or are those really the key things? Aligning around what good looks like, I guess. Yeah, those things. I think, you know, aligning up front to agree on what good looks like is a really big one. And if it's a thing about they're killing my mojo, like they systematically went through it, every conversational moment, they stomped it out. Well, you may not be aligned on what good copy is, and you need to kind of talk about it in the abstract before you talk about it for this specific piece of copy. And if you really fundamentally disagree then, well, then, you know, it's all right. Okay, if you still want to please that stakeholder or client, you do it their way and you don't get yourself all bitter about it. You know, um, you've, they've agreed they don't want to do conversational, let's say. But let's face it. I mean, some of this is be open to being wrong. I mean, one person's conversational is another's cute. Like, I hate cute. And I know that a lot of writers who go for conversational trip into cute very easily. I know I do it myself. There are times I think it was fine and I read it later and think, wow, that, that's horribly cute. That's look at me writing. And I think a lot of writers are very proud of the look at me writing. That's not what we're here for. It's not to make people say, wow, it's so well written. It's to change their mind and incite action and do something, not to, to say, wasn't that a cool turn of phrase? So these cool turns of phrase that we're so proud of might truly be jangling for the reader. And so we should be open to being wrong and that, that our conversational and cool turn of phrase actually didn't serve the brief. Thanks again, Zdenka, for your question, and thanks, Doug, for such a thoughtful response. Fiona, you've been at this writing game for a while. You must have some thoughts on this, I'm sure. Yeah, this is actually one of my favourite topics, uh, because uh, um, to sort of jump to the end of what Doug was saying, you know, having those difficult conversations with clients or stakeholders about them uh, sort of in quote marks, meddling with your copy is something that I've come to really enjoy doing. And I actually, I actually sometimes hope that stakeholders <laughs> will meddle with my copy <laughs> so that I can have those conversations. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I really like this topic. Um, and I, I really like Doug's answers to it. Cause I mean, there's, there's just so much wisdom in everything <laughs> that Doug says. He's like a sort of Egyptian cotton sheet, <laughs> In the, you know, I'm sorry, what? You know, you know how Egyptian cotton sheets have a really high thread count? I think like with Doug, you get a really high wisdom count. 
Like, okay, high, I'm with you. High insight count uh, because you know I've, I've I've got his interview in front of me and I've just bolded all the things that I think. Yeah, he just said that really well. That's absolutely brilliant and it's so true about how you you don't you can't demand credibility. You earn it. So so very often you know when when stakeholders have input into your copy, um, it is actually right. They are actually helping to make it to make it better and. Um, you can't just, I think, as a writer, just assume that you are the best <laughs> and that everything <laughs> you write is the best possible way it can be written. Um, because there are many people who are very good writers and they may not be a writer for a living, but they, they do have some very valid suggestions to make. Um, so, so I really like that. But, but once you kind of earn your credibility, and part of that you actually do by having those difficult conversations with stakeholders. So it's... I find it's much easier to earn your credibility by working kind of in collaboration and having conversation rather than you kind of communicating with the stakeholder through the comments on a Word document. Um, so how do you actually approach those conversations then, if, if that's something you particularly relish doing? So I, well, I mean, there has to be a real reason for it. Um, so, so I'll give you one example. I mean, recently I've been working with a big tech company, um, one that you've heard of. I mean, not you, you've heard of all tech companies, but one that everybody's heard of. Um, uh, and there <laughs> right. were, let's say, there were about sort of eight to ten stakeholders for each piece that I was writing. And there was a real, there was a real Ouch. division between one group of stakeholders who were briefing me to write something like a white paper um, and another group of stakeholders who were reviewing that copy but who wanted to see something that would read like an article in Wired. Um, and so, so I was caught between the two, these two groups and whatever I wrote for the first group would not wash with the second group, so I had to rewrite it. Um, and after like three or four times of having to rewrite the entire thing from scratch because it didn't read like an article in Wired, I thought, okay, we're going to have to have that conversation. So, so let's request... This was going through an agency as well, so I didn't have direct contact with the stakeholders. Let's let's request a meeting with these stakeholders and let's just work out, you know, what it is they actually want to see and how can we all get on the same page with what the output looks like. So how do I get brief to produce something that everybody wants to see? Um, so and that and that, that that went really well. So you know those conversations were had. They, they weren't confrontational conversations at all. They were like really collaborative conversations. Like we're all working towards the same goal. We want to produce a brilliant piece of content. Um, and you know since having that, I haven't had to rewrite anything, which is <laughs> which is brilliant for me. Yeah, amazing. Um, but also I think they've, they've got much better content out of it as well. So so the whole thing about you know being aligned on you know what good content looks like and making sure everybody knows what the end product should look like is really really important. And sometimes it does take a conversation like that. So if you had to take one point away from what Doug said to answer the Sedenka's question. How would you so, put it? Uh, so I think for Sedenka and for, you know, all the other hundreds and thousands of writers out there that are getting these horrible bits of feedback from clients and clients meddling in things that, that they shouldn't be, I think that the thing that Doug said for me is, it's, you know, we're not enemies. It's not us and them. You know, it's not the client and us and it's a kind of war of attrition or whatever. I think, you know, the, the thing to know is that we are – well, we should be on the same side. It should be a collaboration. Um, so I'd say the way, the way to stop stakeholders meddling is to have those conversations and to make sure that you are collaborating and not 
being confrontational with each other. So in a moment, we'll hear from Ben Clark with his copywriting tip of the month. But first, as this is episode 100, let's hear some more wisdom from the last 99. There are, as with anything else, parts of the writing process that are um, very repetitive and uh, don't require a very sophisticated uh, process. And I think in those situations, we're looking at uh, automating some of those. And, and so it's, it's really a collaborative, uh, I think, as in many fields, AIs, um, AI will not be replacing people. It will be taking away the grunt work, taking away the boring, repetitive tasks and leaving the humans to do the higher end thinking and creative pieces of it. Very often when people do research, they're researching to collect facts. The thing I find way more interesting and way more useful is to research for opinions. Um, Really the most useful thing for me is a phone call with a customer or a, a, a blog from someone with actual skin in the game just complaining about their job or just complaining <laughs> about the category. Like, that is so much more useful to me than 12% of people use this system and not that system. The reason why we are sort of anti-PDF, if you like, why we're on that side of the of the argument is we see it as a format that was created obviously a long time ago, I think back as, as far as 1991, and really so much has moved on since then. And PDF really, to, to our minds, hasn't kept pace with that. Of course we do have a clear good standard of of what good content is based on um, historical performance, right? So these are our our safe bets, content pieces that we know will always work. Um, Things like um, case studies, we've we've always seen that uh, many of our best performing content have have that credibility factor in them. Like uh, they have things like statistics, testimonies, uh, customer success stories in different formats, uh, whether it be videos, case studies, or, or webinars, uh, these things have always performed the best on a global scale. I get the impression that marketers are always trying to justify their worth and justify them being in the company. So to spend time on something that isn't easily um, measurable or doesn't quickly show return on investment is difficult. It's really about sort of bringing, I think anyway, it's about bringing out the best of them and bringing out that sort of individuality um, within the orchestra, but at the same time having a sort of coherence um, and a sort of vision of what what you want as well. So that's a classic where a company is using its own data and there's naturally lots of sensitivities around that. Um, So... Then naturally in those instances, you want to go out there with a very bold message and there's just a little bit of sensitivity and you have to rein in a little bit. And that is a critical differentiator rather than people seeing um, an, an advertisement, an, an email, but, but when they have their actual contact within the business talking to them about the campaign it's much more powerful and and the that person can also put it into their into context into their world and make it relevant for for where they are right now there's even more data now suggesting that yeah as um you know people know what they like they don't when you ask them do they want plain language they don't know what that means so they tend to think as i was listening to one of your podcasts from a few months ago that uh, plain language is dumbing things down, but yet that's not what it is. When you read something that's clear, how many times have you actually said, uh, oh, this is too clear? 
You know, that <laughs> nobody, nobody says that. We just heard from Dr. Andrew Bradenkamp, Harry Kapoor, Nick Mason, Shaima Shazleen Khatib, Matt Harper, Alice Farnham, Angela Katin, Moamba Cassander, and Professor Chris Trudeau. Thanks so much, all of you, for your uh, contributions. We are super grateful. Now, let's get that copywriting tip. Copywriting tip of the month. My name is Ben, and I'm a copywriter at Radix. For my copywriting tip of the month, I'm going to steal a piece of advice I learned from Fiona when I first joined the company. Every time you switch the brand you're writing for, just take 15 minutes to read some of their work, even if you're already familiar with them. It could be a few blog posts, emails, or even an ebook. It will help you really capture their tone and voice and get you in the right headspace for approaching the task at hand. It's especially useful if you're writing for multiple brands a day. Copywriting tip of the month. Well, thank you very much, Ben. I'm, I'm glad to hear you found the advice helpful. I have to say, it wasn't, it wasn't my advice. I nicked it from George R.R. R. Martin, <laughs> um, who said that, you know, because there are so many characters in his, uh, in his Game of Thrones books that whenever he comes to write for a character that he hasn't written for for a while, he goes back to read, you know, previous sections where that character featured so that he can get back into their voice. Um, and uh, I've, I've always found it really useful and uh, I, I still do it now. So it's a very good tip. Thank you. I wonder which B2B tech firm is the equivalent of Hodor. I don't think we should say in a public forum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is very nearly all we have time for. But before we go, let's hear one last chunk of distilled wisdom from our guests over the last 99 episodes. I think what people forget is they are still consumers in their jobs and outside and as such the messages must be more sophisticated than they have been to date to ensure that we are responding to the needs of those individuals so that's where the value proposition and what you stand for and what makes you unique is is so important for marketeers in the NHS. The biggest thing that's made a difference in this industry is the understanding of the importance of emotion. And it is about understanding what drives an individual and um, being able to really focus in on that, whether it's on a granular level or a kind of persona-based level, is, I think, what's made the industry so much more of a wonderful and fulfilling place to work for everybody who's remotely creative. Right now, we need certainty. It's a very uncertain world. So we need some data points. And we've also been conditioned to believe that the more points of evidence we have, the more likely people are to believe us. So that's another reason why it's good to use data and insights in our story. So that for me is the most critical thing about content in ABM. And I think it's really important that whatever you do produce, clients can recognise themselves in it. So not only the relevance to what they're trying to achieve, but also the language that's being used. When it comes to writing content, I think there's, you know, there's best practices, whether it's social media content or or blogs or anything else. And that's know who you're writing it for Mm -hmm. um, and write it for them. Yeah. And to have a purpose, you know, particularly when we're doing it for business and and make sure you include a call to action, make it into a conversation and make it social on social media. That's a good post. It's always like thinking about how you might perceive it and then 
putting yourself in the shoes of someone else to see how other parties might perceive it as well. And I think if more um, businesses did that at every stage of production, they would then get to realize how um, the story changes over time. It sounds like a very simple thing to do, but I don't think people question their processes enough. So I would say if you do want to do more diversity content, set a target. You know, for us, we do a monthly feature or blog. And, you know, it's it's sometimes it's around mental health. You know, I've done one on psychological safety in the workplace. You know, these all contribute to, to different aspects of diversity. It's an approach to marketing, which is you could coin with this mantra, really. So, you know, help don't sell talk, don't yell, show, don't tell. So it's a different approach to marketing and it came out of a sales experience, really. It's even more the case these days, especially during pandemic land. The last thing we want to get is a sales message. Uh, and yet she says, and I, I totally agree with this, that if you give away your information, your ideas as generously as you can, that's actually what gets people's attention. So, you know, valuable content is, is actually being as helpful as you can. To the other person that's what builds trust and actually ultimately that's what does business for you so we just heard from rain hunt joel harrison dr christine bailey rianon blackwell luann wise natalie nara kavita singh sonia nissen and john Nespirian. thanks very much to all of you for contributing and, and thanks too to ben clark to doug kessler and to zadenka linkova i hope you feel we've answered your question and thanks to you fiona for coming back and, and co-hosting it's been lovely I, I hope you've enjoyed it i have i have it's taken me right back yeah it's been a pleasure <laughs> we don't have the the pod yurts these days you're not in a uh, surrounded in a cardboard box trying to no i am i am oh, I've, I've built one i've built one <laughs> i'll send you a photo <laughs> i look forward to it <laughs> uh, listener, remember, in a future episode, it could be your question we answer. If you have a question for B2B Q&A to answer, email a voice memo to podcast at radix-communications.com or find us on social media. I'll see you next month for another B2B Q&A when we'll be answering how important is grammar really? If you have any answers or thoughts on that, please do send them our way. Until then, make good content. And remember, we have every right to create our own destiny, but none to interfere with someone else's. Unless it's to insert an Oxford comma. Goodbye! Bye.